If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is a More Than Just Podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast Season 5, Episode 14. My name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kulain in Mississauga, Ontario. Hey there, kids. And we also have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? It's going well. Well, it's snowing, actually, if you must, must know. Anyway. All right. So, last week we were talking about Catherine Tate was the person who I couldn't remember the name of. Catherine Tate is a comedian... Uh, who plays Donna Noble, the runaway bride on Doctor Who. She was on Doctor Who as, as I guess, as the companion from 2006 to 2008. Um, and one interesting story about her is, as, I don't know if this is like, if this was, uh, uh, it was years ago that I saw her at um, Comic-Con, or at Fan Expo, actually, our sort of Comic-Con thing here in, in Toronto. And I what I noticed about her was, she was, you know, at the table signing autographs, and she stepped over the table, like, came out of the table to take a picture with a fan, which I thought was, like, totally unique, because you know how you always have to pay extra to have a photo taken with somebody? But I just thought it was really kind of cool that she would uh, do that. So, anyway. All right, and then the other point, other person I mentioned last week was the co-star of Kaleidoscope is Rufus Sewell, and I can never remember his name, but that's his name. And uh, he's the star of The Man from High Castle. Um, I'm not sure if he's the, the man, I'm doing air quotes, not The Man from High Castle. It's been a while since I've seen that show, but um, yeah, he plays, the, he plays the, main, the main character in that show. Or one of the main characters in that show. Uh, the baddie, as it were. And then, yeah, so I guess we'll head over to the headlines and Jaime, you're up first. We've got the uh, complete list of winners for the 80th annual Golden Globe Awards here in 2023. So that's in the show notes for those of you uh, transporting along at home. Uh, did you all catch the, the show? I did. I watched uh, most of it live. Um, did you watch any of it, John? I caught the highlights. Uh, I'm not a huge awards show person. I, I'm curious to see how these things play out. I mean, obviously, the Golden Globes is kind of a weird 
one, given that they kind of didn't have one last year with a lot of kerfuffle over the fact that they have, you know, not a very diverse voting base and have a bit of a, a checkered past as far as who they're nominating. But um, but I did check out some of the acceptance speeches. They were rolling those across the social feeds and stuff uh, on, I think, whatever it was, Tuesday. And so I was watching some of those. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, a lot of jokes that weren't uh, in those YouTubes, or they may they may have been at uh, Will Smith's expense and uh, <laughs> and Tom Cruise's expense as well. So, well, which we kind of got lost as in it the should shuffle. be. Yeah. Uh, well, there was there was the one Scientology joke. I don't know if you saw that one. Um, I forgot the name of the host. He came out. He had three Golden Globes. And he says, "I found these backstage." Tom Cruise apparently returned them. Yeah. And he says, uh, "Can we? Uh, can we? Uh, maybe we can exchange them and and get you know that star that wife that Scientology wife. I've forgotten her name. I'll look it up for next week. Get her back." And and like the audience just went groan. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, that was pretty funny. Yeah, that was Jerry. But it was some good speeches. I mean, Jerry. Yeah, thank you. You guys have you have you guys haven't seen Banshees of of Inisherin yet? Have you? No, that's way high on my list. Though I was excited to see it came to Disney Plus here in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Colin Farrell was surprisingly good in that. Like it was is a really interesting. The three actors, the three main actors, were really good in it. Yeah, to be Brent honest Gleason, with you. Yeah. And then uh, the the interesting wins were, of course, our, our you know our favorite Michelle Yeoh, fin- finally at last after forty years of yeah, being 61 in sixty one years old, yeah, yeah, one one, and uh, our young man from um, Indiana Jones and Temple of Dune, okay, he won, uh, yeah, yeah, he won for the same movie, and then uh, I'm surprised it didn't win for the best movie, but then I guess it, it, it Benji's of Inisherin is is typically a good award winning kind of movie, like. When you see it, you'll, you'll, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one was uh, the funny speech by uh, uh, from uh, White Lotus. What's her name? Oh, Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah, she was super funny. Um, yeah, well, because she kind of cause she got cut off giving her Emmy Award speech, right? So she kind of picked up where she left off. Oh, did she? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. That was the joke. Was that she kind of just sort of picked off where picked up where she left off her last speech, and people were just like, "Ah, that's funny." Yeah. Oh, did she? Okay. Yeah. And then. Um, and uh, what's her name? What was she, the character in American Pie? Oh, she was Stifler's mom. Stifler's mom, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'd never seen her or anything before that, so what about you? Yeah, I mean, she was, a, she was a character actor. She was in, you know, lots of stuff. Again, she's also, I think she's 60. She'd been in a lot of sort of smaller roles and stuff like that, but that one sort of propelled her into a certain level of fame. Because, again, they, they coined the term M-I-L-F, MILF, in, in the original American Pie, right? And so she became this sort of icon around that term. Uh, I've read interviews with her where she sort of said, you know, I have met and slept with more men over my, you know, last... As a result of that. Yeah, the last 20 plus years who were like, ooh, a MILF, you know, like, you know, she's like, yep, let's go to bed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, cool. Yeah, she's a funny character. And I don't... yeah, we're halfway through season two of uh, White Lotus, and she's uh, a prominent character in both both the seasons so far. And she's she is a riot. She's she's a lot to take. She's she, her character is way over the top, um, but I, but I understand why she got a lot of recognition for that role. Yeah, I think she didn't. She let her house be used as one of the, one of the locations as well. I think. Oh, is that right? I didn't hear that. Uh, yeah, I read I read that earlier on in in the when it was on. I it's on another show that I have to watch too because. Um, what's her name? The the one from Parks and Recreation. Which one? The girl, dark haired girl, big eyes. Parks and Recreation. Rashida Jones. Can't remember. No. Oh, oh, Aubrey Plaza. 
Bobby Powell. Apparently, she's like stand out in that show. So oh, she's great. Yeah, the uh, she's in season yeah. two that we're in right now. She's she's fantastic. I'd be surprised if she wasn't nominated next season. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, and the other one for the Golden Globes that we didn't mention was uh, Angela Bassett, one for best supporting actress right. for uh, for her role in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was she up against? I mean, it was interesting. Like as the night went through, and they they read off the people. Like pretty much could tell you, like. Surprisingly, I'm, I'm usually not very good at this, but usually I was pretty good at guessing who they would pull the name out of the envelope, right? Yeah. Who was who was she up against? Do you know? Don't. Do you remember? See the list here, so I'd have to, uh, we'd have to look that up. Um, and the other one was best television series for a drama was House of the Dragon. So that one, yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's the start of of a little run for them because obviously that was a pretty great series. So. Oh, and Jennifer Garner won for um, Ozark. Ozark. Yeah, for best supporting. Yeah, that's great to see. Glad you got yet another nod. She's amazing. That was up for best show too. I'm surprised that uh, I don't know if it had ever won before, but but you're right. It, it's sort of the next dynasty of of dragon, you know, yep. Game of Thrones. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, I mean, what you got? Got a little one-two punch here. So we're gonna start with Warner Brothers Discovery saying it's done killing its uh, shows and movies for giggles and tax write-offs. So we talked about them. You know, canceling Westworld, yanking uh, Batgirl, and mm. canceling a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, slicing off like, hey, maybe they don't need these Looney Tunes characters for these particular rights and everything. Uh, apparently, that was a, a one-time thing to get a whole bunch of things off the books as they bring together the uh, Warner Brothers and Discovery content. And maybe the reason they can do that is because the next part is that HBO Max is going to raise its prices by $1 a month. So that's moving from fourteen ninety nine to fifteen ninety nine US. Hmm. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't kept track of where they're at vis a vis Netflix, but it's pretty neck and neck in terms of you know what the most expensive one is out there. Yeah. Well, it's all gonna so death by a thousand cuts. I've said it a thousand times before. But I mean, I, a dollar is not gonna kill anybody really. And, and admittedly, Until it's the they, next you know, dollar cost... and the next dollar and the next dollar. Yeah, but the cost of everything's gone up, you know, because of this weird worldwide uh, dilemma we went through, you know, mm -hmm. so, yeah. You know. All right. Yeah, so we got a more robust, a proper full trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania this week. Um, a little more detail, a little more Kang. Um, Jonathan Majors, you know, taking a, a real center stage in his first sort of major role as as that character since the the finale of the the Loki television series, and it was kind of a grim trailer. The first one was very much more, you know, hey, you know, Ant Man's got this cool life and people like him, and then they get sucked into the quantum realm, and oh, it's challenging. But this one looked pretty grim. That seemed uh, very much like he's going to be in a, a major conflict in uh, in the microverse. Um, and, you know, it sparked a little bit of speculation on the socials, you know, hey, this is the third that Marvel generally wraps up, you know, movies at three. They, you know, with the exception of Thor, obviously, and the Avengers, you know, is this, is is there any possibility that they will actually take out uh, Paul Rudd's Ant-Man character and, you know, take him off the board going forward so that, you know, they can maybe give... His daughter Cassie, you know, more play in the future, or give the Wasp character more play in the future. Uh, what did you guys make of this trailer? It was pretty dark. It was like one of those dark trailers that you see, um, you know, in other other series, right? Like, 
Um, like, you know, almost like the pun ones where they take a, you know, like something wholesome and, and do a real dark, twisty sort of trailer. That's what it felt like, you know, mm. like it was very, very dark compared to the last, the last trailer that we saw. But I see what you mean. Like, it's almost like setting up a new universe, right? Yeah. The multiverse aspect of Kang is, is interesting in how it interplays here with the, the quantum verse. And I really like the sort of angle they took as one of the final quotes from Ant-Man. Where Kang says, uh, you can't win, Ant-Man. And, you know, Mr. Paul Rudd says, uh, I don't have to win. We both just have to lose. This kind of a, <laughs> I can sacrifice myself uh, sort of hint is what I sort of felt out of it. And whether that's a, a permanent thing and a, and a goodbye to the actor, or if it's a, uh, this version of Ant-Man goes away and his multiverse, you know, buddy takes over. There's there's tons of possibilities here that are opened up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, some weird news that sort of came out of left field uh i saw this yesterday so the co-creator of rick and morty justin roiland who also does the voices of rick and morty uh was uh is facing felony domestic violence charges uh in california um so apparently this happened back in may of 2020 there was an incident uh that happened and um it i guess didn't really come out at the time and um apparently he is supposed to have a pre-trial hearing in in april this year um he of course through his lawyer is is vehemently denying the allegations uh, his lawyer said uh to entertainment weekly it is hard to overstate how inaccurate the recent media coverage of the situation has been to be clear not only is justin innocent but we have also every expectation this matter is on course to be dismissed once the district attorney's office has completed its methodical review of the evidence. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is a weird one. Like, obviously, you know, we always talk about, you know, the dangers of, of you know, the, the separating the art from the artist. And, and, you know, how can you how do you feel about all these kinds of things when they come up and these people that we love their work have these things that are happening outside of their work? Um, you know, I, I found myself when I saw this story, my first reaction was what it had been throughout a lot of the, you know, the, the, the last few years, especially during the Me Too era was just like, oh no, oh no, because, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to want to support people who are, you know, obviously behaving in, in such a fashion. Obviously it remains to be seen what, uh, you know, whether this is proven in court, uh, this is, this is an allegation, but, uh, but yeah, really upsetting to hear that this this is an allegation against uh somebody whose work i think we all enjoy not just rick and morty but solar opposites and uh yeah it's kind of kind of scary to to sort of see this um this story come up yeah it's a little it's a little nuts uh if it turns out to be true um like what does that do for the future i mean obviously you know we don't want to we don't want to presume he's guilty we'll let the courts play out as they would but i mean you know these are these are major franchises for with the services, you know, there's millions of dollars wrapped up and, and, you know, hundreds of jobs and everything else. Like this is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not small when this kind of thing comes up. A minor sort of thing as a side sidetrack is they mentioned that he also had produced Hulu's Koala Man series, which I just started watching a, a handful of those episodes. So add that to the, How is it? the list of things, you know, it's, uh, I've only seen, uh, what, four out of the eight episodes and it started out a little slow but has sort of picked up some steam uh, uh rick and morty style in that the episodes are largely self-contained but there's a growing set of 
um, sort of backstory that's building up. And it's, uh, it's based in some small town called Dapto in Australia. And it's, it's very Australian, or at least appears to be very Australian. If we've got folks who are from Australia, you can watch the show and tell us how accurate it is. It'd be kind of interesting because it's, to me, as an American, it feels like, oh, I guess this would be like a very Canadian show where it's more or less the same. And then they'll throw in some things. I'm like, what, what is that? Um, and hmm. it has a premise of, you know, a sort of average Australian man and family. Uh, he is a superhero named Koala Man, the the titular Koala Man. Uh, but it also posits a world where um, Australia has a, a key rule that because it lives in the future, you cannot ever tell somebody what's going to happen. And they have uh, time cops or time bobbies, as they call them there, that will take <laughs> you away. And one of the episodes establishes that uh, this old man, when he was a young kid, saved the Titanic, which through a series of weird events ends up with America having a downfall uh, and Hollywood, you know, separating out into an island in the ocean. It, it's very bizarre. And it kind of took me a little bit to get into it. So I, I dig it, but not uh, sort of as uh, ravenously as I do Rick and Morty's show. It's more like uh, another nice show from, from those creators. Yeah, it showed up on uh, Disney Plus this week. Oh, well, okay. I think this week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's where, I, if you're on, I just checked in to confirm on justwatch.ca.com slash CA uh, to see that it, in fact, is there. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, well, speaking of animated entertainment, Netflix uh, stuck the knife into me this week. I was, uh, you know, obviously they will, all, all things will come for your favorite shows eventually if you're, if you, uh, you know, fall in love too hard. Uh, Inside Job, which is a show I've talked about on this podcast before, uh, one that, uh, that I watch with my kids and, and really enjoy, um, you know, by the, um, one of the people who worked on Gravity Falls, really funny, quirky, uh, you know, uh, little twisted show, uh, that I really love. Uh, so it had already been approved for season two. So they did a two part season one. So I think it was like 10 and 10 episodes for a season one. They had already been approved for a season two. Well, Netflix went back on their approval of a season two and decided to cancel it, uh, this week. So that was a real kick in the teeth because, uh, you know, when you go into a season or, you know, the second half of the season, I went in with the expectation like, oh, well, I already know it's getting a season two. And then they pull the rug out from under you. That really sucked. Uh, it's a super it's a super funny show. Uh, it does require a bit of a dark sense of humor, but it is uh, for those of us who, who do view the world that way. Very, very funny. And uh, yeah, I'm bummed. I'm bummed that they canceled this one because I think it's great. And uh, disappointed that they don't see uh, a future for it. Yeah, I, I agree. I've also I thought we were in season two, but I guess you're, you're saying it was a two part. Yeah, it's a two part um, season, season one, one yeah. right? Okay. Why they do that? I don't know. Well, I do know why they do that, but yeah, okay. Uh, that's disappointing. I did enjoy that show as well. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's again it's it's weird and it's funny and it's just you know it's just filled with you know just fun dark humor and and uh, yeah, great voice performances. There's so many little you know quirky characters and everything else so, yeah, i really was hoping that you know even if they could get a chance to sort of wrap things up with two seasons i would have taken if it was 40 episodes if it was two twenty two twenty episode seasons i would have been ecstatic um knowing that there was more story to tell and i, I saw an interview 
with the creator and he was saying, you know, yeah, you know, like I, I love these characters. I really wanted to sort of, you know, do something with them and, uh, you know, and especially to, to be approved for a second season and then have that reversed, not just, you know, oh, well, we, we saw the metrics for season one and we canceled that before they did that, but to have it reversed, ugh, what a, what a kick in the teeth. Yeah. Well, speaking of shows that are being renewed and possibly canceled in the future. Yeah. Well, I don't think this one's getting canceled. There was a lot of discussion. So uh, Tim is referencing Wednesday, the uh, Adams Family sort of spinoff show uh, Tim Burton produced and, and directed part of for Netflix uh, has been renewed for season two at Netflix. And it's important to say at Netflix because... There was some discussion about the fact that uh, it could have moved to a different streaming service given that it's not actually produced by Netflix. It's not a Netflix studio-produced show. They actually uh, buy it from uh, another um, studio. I'm just trying to remember which one. I think it's Lionsgate. I'm just going to take a quick look and see if it says in here. But anyways... The there was some discussion that there might be a season two, but it might be on a different service. So the fact that it's coming back to Netflix is uh, is kind of relevant, um, and, and I'm excited for that. I thought the first season was a very pleasant surprise. I, I had seen a little bit of the buzz. Obviously, the the now infamous uh, uh, Jenna Ortega uh, dance routine that became a real popular meme over the last you know six weeks or so. Um, I really wasn't sure what to expect, but I, I enjoyed it uh, even more than I than I uh, knew that I would, and uh, and and I would definitely tune in for a season two. So that was great. Yeah, apparently she did the the little girl Wednesday dance as part of that yeah. routine, but it didn't make it on. It was cut apparently, or didn't see it in the. Yeah, yeah. She, it's uh, apparently Jenna Ortega actually uh, choreographed that herself, and she drew inspiration from. And you could see it. I mean, if you, especially if you're a fan of the. 80s, you know, she pulled some Kate Bush, she pulled like all these different, uh, you know, little bits of dance from different sort of, uh, you know, gothy, uh, you know, weird dances and sort of combined them all together. And it was brilliant. I mean, she did a wonderful job. It's very, very, very uh, captivating to watch her just be weird, like just embrace the weird. It's 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 really good. Yeah. Um, the other one I've got here is... Uh, so there's an actor named Earl Bowen, uh, who is one of those, that guys who you see in movies, you know, you're, you sort of, you know, oh, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. He's been in, a, oh, he was, a, you know, he's one of the actors that he was in a ton of stuff during the, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, character actor, uh, you know, balding, you know, middle-aged fella, uh, you know, listed as, you know, oh gosh, you know. He was on Wonder Woman, the original TV show. He was on Family Ties. He was on Who's the Boss. He was on Seinfeld. He was on Fresh Prince. You know, just a ton of stuff. But the reason that I flagged it for us is because he's very best known as one of the only characters outside of the main couple of characters who makes it from Terminator 1 to Terminator 2. So he played Dr. Silverman, the, um, the, the psychologist who... Uh, talks to, um, uh, oh God, what's her name? The character that, uh, Linda Hamilton. Yeah. Linda Hamilton's character. She talks to her in the police station and is talking about, you know, oh, you know, don't worry about it. You're probably imagining it or whatever. He walks out of the police station right before the scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger walks in and starts, starts killing, like basically takes out all the cops in the police station. Um, you know, so he, never really re reconciles the fact that like, you know, there is a Terminator that, ter you know, the Terminator is the one that killed on. And then he shows up in part two 
working with her again and saying, you know, oh, you know, hey, it's all in your head. You didn't you just imagined this character. It's not real. And when she's, you know, she's in an asylum, basically, uh, you know, languishing and he's, you know, talking to her like she's in, like, you know, insane and that the Terminator never really happened. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, he was a, a very prodigious character actor. And obviously, uh, sad to hear of his passing last week at the age of 81. Well, speaking of deaths, I mean, there's been a few this week, actually, which probably should talk about. But uh, one of Mudd's women from the uh, classic series, uh, Maggie Threat, um, died uh, this week as well. Um, and she was like the, the one of the women, the, the Mudd women that had to take the, the pills to keep themselves looking young. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all the men on the ship were all fast. Or they were like sirens, I guess, right? Um, they were all fascinated by them. And, and as a side note, she was married to Don Lee Rhodes, who was, you know... Um, the Canadians, Canada's own, as we like to say, but uh, star of a lot of different shows, including Battlestar Galactica. I think it was one of the last, uh, another another Canadian actor was around a long time. And, you know, just, you know, actually just yesterday, Lisa Marie Presley died of a heart attack. Yeah. Um, after just being on the, the Golden Globes, we talked about at the top of the show, when um, the young man that played Elvis uh, you know, gave Butler, her and yeah. her mother a shout out. Yeah. yeah, Austin Butter gave him, gave him a shout out in his speech. So, yeah, that's yep. uh, too bad. And we lost Jeff Beck, too. Yeah, Jeff Beck was a huge loss. It was a loss for me, but unfortunately, I did get to see him in 2010. But uh, yeah, uh, I've listened to his music for years and years and years. I'm sure most people have, but yeah, he was a big, uh, big influence. And if you don't me. think you've heard him, you've heard the Yardbirds and you've heard Jeff Beck. Yeah, well, yeah, he was only in Jeff Beck for you, but yeah, it was a couple of a couple of iconic songs that he played at the time. Yeah, so interesting uh, stories I've uh, been hearing about him last couple of days as well. So. Yeah, and uh, last but never least, our man Nicolas Cage. So this week, while doing some promotion around his uh, his movie The Old Way, uh, Nicolas Cage started talking. Uh, somebody addressed a question to him: "Hey, would you ever consider being in a Star Wars project?" And he said, uh, "No, I'm a Trekkie man. I'm on the starship. I'm on the Star Trek Enterprise. He said, I'm on the Star Trek Enterprise." That's where I roll. Uh, so yeah. apparently he's, uh, he's, he said, I grew up watching Shatner. I thought Pine was terrific in the movies. I think the movies are outstanding. I like the political and sociological messages to me. What science fiction is all about and why it's such an important genre is that you really can say whatever you want, however you feel. You put it on a different planet. You put it on a different time or in the future and without people that just jumping on you. You can really express your thoughts like Orwell or whomever in the science fiction format, and Star Trek really embraced that. So there's a ringing endorsement for Star Trek by Nicolas Cage, who uh, is now on record as an avowed Trekkie over a Star Wars. And why is there no derogatory Star Wars fan name? Huh? Shouldn't there be like a Warsy, like, you know, they say Trekkie, Trekker, Trekkie. It's, it's the, you know... Oh, Star Wars. Yeah, oh. why is there, no, is there no, like, short form for a... Well, you're either a rebel or you're, you know... I mean, even Firefly has brown coats. I don't know. It's weird. Part of the rebellion, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. We're with the Force. We don't need a name. I think we should start calling them <laughs> Akbars or something. We are one with the Force. The Force is one with us. We don't need a name. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, it's interesting. White Warsies. Yeah, interesting. Star... Yeah, I don't know. Nerds? How about nerds? <laughs> um... <laughs> Or is it dorks? I can't always get those two mixed up. Nerds or dorks? Uh, all right. Anyway, we're at the main part of the show where we talk about something, usually Star Trek, but uh, this week we had uh, no Star Trek to talk about, did we? No. Nope. We have some Star Wars to talk about. How about we talk about Star Wars instead? 
But before we do that, let's talk about the season finale of Willow, season one, episode eight, The Children of the Worm. Yeah, so my elevator pitch for this one was uh, it's good versus evil for all the marbles, or maybe just some of them, the marbles. since it looks like this is season one of three. Oh, three. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, we can discuss that. Oh, I went with uh, do the right thing as the, the pithy way yeah. to describe what happens in this do episode. Do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mine was based. I tried. I rewound the show and to see what Borman had said to Willow just before he jumps off the the precipice, and uh, he basically said, like, you know, I guess we'll have to get involved in this or whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was a good show. I mean, you know, typical. I think. I think um, some of the parts were kind of expected, but yeah, there is some sort of timey wimey, twisty wisty, you know, uh, zombie kind of stuff going on there too, right? So. Yeah, it was, uh, I, it's funny because, you know, I was thinking that they had actually done pretty well as far as pacing this season. I didn't feel like we were in full Disney Plus, hold my beer, we got to cram in a bunch of stuff. I thought if this was going to be the end of the series writ large, they could land this plane without it being a problem. And... If they had basically ended the episode with them all, you know, defeating the crone and then starting the walk back without any kind of PS at the end of that, you you probably could have called this a satisfying adventure. Not completely, because obviously they did sort of, you know, they, they did, um, you know, leave you with the characters believing that, that uh, Graydon is gone, right? But overall, I think you probably could have gotten away with this being an ending. So in that sense, as a full season sort of story, it works. But of course, there's a couple of little PSs. The one PS is that uh, we get an extra scene where we see Graydon waking up in this sort of, uh, you know, uh, hellscape where he finds himself facing somebody who looks like Alora leading an army of monsters and creepy things and the undead and whatever. And that sort of teases, you know, more to come. And then when from there we fade back out to, you know, the framing device for these episodes has been there, you know, they basically have this book, the the book of, you know, Willow. And we start with the book and then it fades from a picture from the book into the actual episodes. And this one, the book closes and then the book is put back on the shelf. And you see that that was volume one, and there's a volume two and a volume three on the bookshelf. Ah, right. So the obvious uh, conclusion would be, oh, okay, so that's their way of telling us that, you know, Graydon's not dead, he's somewhere trapped, and we're going to get a season two and three to sort of round out the rest of the story, which, you know, I was extremely excited to see. Uh, but, uh, But it's funny because now that has been... Uh, you know, a few days since since this has aired, and there has been uh, radio silence from from Disney. Uh, there hasn't been any confirmation about a, a verification for seasons two and three or anything else. So, I thought that was kind of unusual, given they did kind of make a big deal out of it. Well, speaking of radio silence, you reminded me of something that I was going to vent about on this just about this particular um, channel, Disney Plus, if you want to call it that, their service. Every time I go to watch a show on Disney Plus and I hit start, it takes at least 90 minutes before the show starts, or 90 seconds before the show starts. 
And somebody pointed out to me today that if you if you use the scrubber and scrub ahead 10 seconds, sometimes it'll start. But have you guys not noticed that? Like every time you go to watch, it's almost like there's supposed to be a trailer that loads beforehand. Like, you know, Apple TV does that. And sometimes Netflix does that where they show a little bit of a show of, you know, a coming soon kind of thing. Every single time I go to watch Willow, Bad Batch, you name it, whatever show I'm watching, it just sits there for a good 90 seconds and does nothing. You guys have not experienced that? I've not. And I've also not experienced the weird issues you've had where, like, Willow refused to load. Is this what you were talking about? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it just sits there for a minute and then, and it says, you know, your, your content will start after this waiting period. And I was chatting with somebody online who's been experiencing the same thing. Yeah, I've never seen so, that on my end either. So that's, that's unusual. Totally weird. Is there a time? Yeah, are you watching, like, immediately as the episode drops or something? Because I don't watch until... No, I'm just like I'm just going to the going to the, the thing, hitting Willow, hit start. It sits at zero 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 for like a long time, and and you you hit forward forward forward, you know, play stop play stop play stop, nothing. And then somebody pointed out today that if you use the scrubber, you can scrub ahead ten seconds, and then then it does the Disney thing with you know the arc, and then the episode starts to play. But it's super frustrating. Every single episode of, of Willow's been like that, and now Bad Batch is doing it to me and, and uh, National Treasure just before I started watching the show today as well. But if I'm watching something and, it, and you know, I've got a couple of things queued up, it'll it'll carry on to the next episode, no problem. But yeah, starting from cold, it's like I've had to force quit the app, and it's like stupid. It's just like so, so frustrating. Hmm. That's weird. Yeah. And you guys have noticed that. That's totally weird. Yeah. Anyway, done. Like, you know, like I, I, I would... You know, seriously, like it's so disappointing that that if it, if it wasn't for these great shows I want to watch, I would ju- just not watch this network. Hmm. So frustrating. So send us your letters to you know ask Spotcast <laughs> and let us know your experiences. <laughs> uh, Jaime, what uh, what what was your best pew 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 for this uh, episode of of Willow? This finale. It's it's kind of extended and a little bit of a cheat, but I think for me it was the fight with the crone. I mean, it is yeah. a fair, uh, fair chunk of the of the episode, and it is split kind of across a few different segments. Um, but it definitely did have all the pew pew pews. What? Uh, what did you? Uh, <laughs> well, I'll I'll telegraph my feelings by asking you this question: What did you think of the special effects in this episode? Uh, I thought they were they were fine for me. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, that, I, I that, felt like that they leaned hard into uh, the the technical category. I felt like they did. Um, like uh, like Harry Potter type effects. Yeah, they were a little bit better than that. They were like the lightning bolty kind of stuff back and forth. That was pretty pretty cool. I, same episode, same with last week's episode. As yeah, well. I like the fractal, the the way that the, they're sort of moving in like degrees. I thought that was really interesting. But I must say the 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 visual effects on the crone I thought were a little cartoony, a little unrealistic. Uh, you mean when she gets all melty? Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I felt yeah. like that was the first time where I was kind of taken out of it by like, ooh, this this feels like they were trying to not spend a lot of money on this part. Yeah, I don't know. It, 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 I think that they were they were trying to do a practical effect, but but yeah, it did it did look sort of like uh, the melty Nazis from um, oh, Raiders, yeah, uh, Raiders are lost, or or even the melty uh, Emperor from the last movie, the last Star Wars movie, The Rise of Skywalker. Mm. You know, that was kind of lame too, right? So Yeah, yeah. So it it did, it kind of looked claymation-y, like almost, you know, like mm-hmm. it didn't didn't really, you're right, it didn't really sell the, the viciousness of the, you know, of the character. Yeah. As it, as it should have, right? Yeah. Uh, 
So for my Easter egg for this one, I, I did like the reference to uh, Willow starts telling uh, Kit and Eric about, you know, did I ever tell you about the time your dad turned into a giant snowball, which of course is a, a very funny mm -hmm. scene from Willow, where of course Mad Mardigan falls off the shield when they're racing down toboggan-esque down the hill and ends up turning into this giant snowball that slams into this uh, little village. Uh, did did get a kick out of them, you know, including that in there. Um, for my big question for this episode, I had the, uh, well, two, one funny one and one real one. Uh, so, you know, what exactly was Borman covered with when he finished killing all the gales? Because he comes out of there and he's covered in a v sort of slime layer uh, of see-through liquid. And, <laughs> and then he throws the quote out, I want my mum. Um, <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the real question was, you know, do you think we're definitely going to get a season two and three? I missed a bit about the book, so I have no opinion on that. I probably stopped watching it. You know, I don't want to sit. And, I don't want to sit through the titles. It was in the title part, like when when they show the, the book pages at the end, yeah. right? Yeah. Basically, it's just yeah. yeah, it's like little sort of PS there. Yeah. Hmm. How about you, Hemi? Yeah, I, I I was also wondering because. Going into this, um, my big question was, what's next for season two with Graydon? Because he sort of lives into the um, the part where normally Willow is having the vision of himself waking up on the battlefield and everything has gone wrong. And uh, it it has gone wrong, but in this case, it's a Laura Dannon that is the problem, seemingly at least. Yeah. Well, and also, also there's a teaser line from the very beginning before Raiden jumps off the cliff. Willow says to him, you're becoming, you'll become a great wizard and a better man, right? So, uh, or sorcerer. So obviously there's a future for Borman as a, as a wizard as well, right? Raiden, yeah, yeah. Raiden, sorry. Yep. Um, this episode was filled with so many great lines. I, I, I wrote down a few of them. Uh, you know, when Kit and Alora are, are realizing that they're trapped by evil Eric, uh, Kit says to Alora, hey, can't you just, like, flick your wrist and uh, turn these guys into mincemeat or something? <laughs> and, mm -hmm. You know, the, the line from Alora is, yes, I'll just use the mincemeat spell. Um, you know, when Jade is trying to, you know, uh, muster the courage to, to take that leap of faith, to jump off the cliff uh, that takes them down into the, uh, into the city, she says, when you love someone, you jump off the edge of the world to protect them. I thought that was very sweet, beautifully written. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> And Borman had a bunch of killer lines. It's like you've never snuck into an undead city before. Um, Alora, when, when Eric is being all creepy and he's possessed by the crone, you know what? I don't think I'm into you anymore. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, the crone, you think you can defeat the worm? He's eternal, bitch. That was, again, a little <laughs> cheesy, but it was funny. Uh, <laughs> and the best line, the best line of the whole episode was... I'm going to leave this world the same way I came in, buck naked and kicking ass. <laughs> this foreman, when he goes in to face the gales, I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah. He does have, I mean, he's got great comedic timing and delivery, but uh, yeah, that was, that was a great line. Everybody else catching yeah, Willow's line. Well, Willow's line before he, before Borman jumps in, he says, when you love something, you know, you have to, if you find something in the world that you love, you have to throw yourself into it no matter what kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And then he then he turn and he says for me it's it's my daughter. He turns around and walks away. Yeah, but of course we need only to come back. Yeah, later. I was gonna say of Spoiler. course there was no way he was leaving. But uh, yeah, he did break his staff though. He did, but then he broke his staff to take the crystal out to heal Eric. But then it's unclear if that you know 
you could just you know build a new staff or how how that works right like i wonder what that means for the future hmm. what uh so what did you guys think of of this sort of first season or season as sort of a a total experience now it was good i mean like it, it was a bit i mean it sort of had um um like it had some weird sort of twisty bits and like you know the 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 sort of i think we talked about the knight's tale aspect of bringing in modern tunes into mm -hmm. it kind of sometimes took me out um in contemporary language but, too know, right they used a lot of contemporary mm -hmm. language yeah i don't know if that i don't know if that bothers me as much i think i think it you know almost it's almost the opposite when they when they try to put on airs in in these shows you know and try and have like you know you know fancy english sounding accent and stuff like that um, or talking in, in what they think is Shakespearean language kind of sounds right. Um, so that, that, that was okay. I'm all right with that. Like it is, it, you know, we are the audience that's watching this. So, you know, keep it, keep it real with us, with us. But, but it, it had interesting bits of the story, you know, it had, and of course it has sort of contemporary sort of sarcasm between, mm. you know, people in relationships and stuff like that, which, you know, those are very modern sort of things, but those didn't take me out as much as a sort of like the music, like from the nineties and eighties coming in and kind of going, what? Um, bad choice of, sometimes a bad, I mean, admittedly good choices for the, sometimes for the, for the, the moment, but I'm trying to think of the last, the song was at the end it's of this straits. episode. Um, Get mm -hmm. your money for nothing yeah. and your chicks for free. Yeah. I mean, like what <laughs> you know i mean i li I like the interpretation that they played it wasn't it wasn't you know mark Knopfler and sting but um you know i want my mtv how does that fit into this show yeah uh you know but but so that was okay that was all right it wasn't as bad as some of the other ones but yeah but um you know like why not bring out talking heads burning down the house or something like if you're going to do stuff like that right mm. you know it's the kind of thing you see in a cop show like they do that in in cop shows and like you know contemporary stuff but yeah but it, but generally speaking, like you know, it, it had parts of it were Baron Munchausen, which were kind of interesting, mm -hmm. you know, a bit of Terry Gilliam influence in there, obviously, which I always like, um, you know, and and sort of bringing in different uh, series that we've seen in in other um, you know other shows, like other sort of story ideas, and some fresh ones, some interesting ones in this too, some new takes on things, mm -hmm. but also paying homage to the the fan service of, from from the previous you know Willow itself, right? Yep, I agree. How about you, Jaime? I liked it as a show. Uh, I don't think it's uh, as must-see as something like uh, House of the Dragon. Um, mm. But it's still uh, a fun show to watch. It's more um, more modern and diverse than I think uh, it might appear on the surface. Um, one of my quotes from Borman, in, in addition to the other ones that you all had mentioned, is uh, he's talking to Graydon and jade when they had just gotten into the desert he's like it's the end of the world so if uh if either of you want to make out real quick i'd be up for it which <laughs> yes that was great <laughs> people were like interpreting as like well is he pansexual and i was like could be that could be a bit of diversity could also be a like hey man it's the end of the world like i'm just gonna enjoy something <laughs> if either one of yeah. you is down for it uh, might as well if we're gonna die which he was one of my my favorite characters because he felt like granted he is a little bit more outlandish in his some of his mannerisms but he felt pretty real as a character of like he's kind of uh hesitantly on this quest right mm -hmm. he, he could do good stuff but he's not a good person he can do bad stuff but he's not a bad person he felt pretty pretty gray and self-serving to me um which is no surprise that i liked him because i also like uh Tyrion lannister from 
Game of Thrones, yep. who I also feel is very, very gray. Yeah. And I think the Borman character was it's sort of in his way the stand-in for Mad Mardigan, right? He was supposed to be the mm -hmm. the scoundrel who you're really never quite sure what his intentions are. Uh, you know, quick with a you know quip and and sort of you know deflecting people away from seeing the real the real person inside. But I think the advantage of these shows versus obviously a movie is you can you can peel back the layers of the onion and you do find out as the season goes on, that he does have a big heart. I mean, the moment where he takes off the cuirass, uh, the big, big suit of armor, and he puts it on Kit and says, they, they say, oh, it didn't work. And he goes, no, it didn't work for me. I just realized I'm not the star of the show. You're the star of the show. That was, you know, again, a real moment for him to realize, like, this isn't my quest. I'm just here to support the people who are actually on this quest. And I thought that was a real moment for his character who has been, you know, very narcissistic and, and self-involved through this whole journey, even though obviously he's there and he's he's been on board and he's, you know, he's had some growth. But to see him sort of say, you know what, I'm I'm not I'm not it. And I need to do what I can here to make sure that everybody else can succeed. I thought that was a real growth for the for the character that was was, you know, definitely earned. It didn't feel out of left field. Yeah, Willow, Willow does sort of say that to him before he goes over the cliff. Yeah. He sort of says, "You know, you're you're shut up. You're you're loyal, and and this is what you're here to board and and to help. That's what you do, even though you say you're narcissistic. You're not really, yeah. right? Yeah. And and then of course Borman interrupts him and he says, "Would you let me finish?" And he says, "No." And he runs and jumps, jumps off, off the cliff. cliff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we think we've all had that moment where someone's trying to teach us an important lesson, and you rather jump off a cliff. Yeah. Would you jump off a cliff? Yeah. If all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump off one? Yeah. I uh, I hope they do a season two and three. I thought this was really enjoyable. I found, like, you know, I wasn't really sure about the characters. And it definitely feels like the pacing was a little different between the first few episodes and into the later ones. Um, so it wasn't, wasn't completely consistent. But I definitely enjoy the performances. And I definitely enjoy being back in this world. And I, and I feel like if they have a couple more seasons they want to tell, I would definitely go on that ride. So hopefully. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Should we do some Bad Batch? Let's do some Bad Batch. This is a weird, weird episode. Uh, this is, you know, uh, season two, episode three, The Solitary Clone. Um, it, I mean, were we supposed to be rooting for Crosshair? Like, it, that kind of how it came across, you know, and then till the very end there, when he redeems himself. Yeah, so, you know, the elevator pitch was, you know, Crosshair returns to the fight for a good old-fashioned game of clones versus clankers. So this really kind of picked up not just, obviously, Crosshair's story from season one. You know, he was very, uh, he was the member of the, the original Bad Batch who sort of, you know, turned his back on the rest of them and didn't, you know, he he wanted to stay loyal to the Empire. And, of course, he's the, he's the scary sniper guy. And um, in this episode, we see him partnered up with Commander Cody, who's a character that a lot of people have um, interest in from the Clone Wars and from uh, Star Wars Episode 3, where, you know, he was sort of, you know, in a lot of missions, he was right there with Rex as one of the most important uh, clone characters. And we never really had a, a continuity of what happened with him where did he go what was his life like after order 66 how did that go and we still don't <laughs> we still don't but this was the first time we'd seen him so for me when i when when uh you know when crosshair comes up to him and says you know who are you and he takes off his helmet and he goes oh cody i didn't recognize you i was like oh we're actually going to get a little more of cody's story and, I'm, and i know for a lot of clone wars fans that was a real like 
oh, this is going to be cool because we didn't really know what had happened to him. And as this episode goes on, obviously the, the main plot of it is that they're supposed to go to this planet and basically, you know, take out this separatist group that are holding out from, you know, joining the Empire. The Empire wants to basically take over and Crosshair and this and Crosshair and Cody and this group of, of clone troopers are supposed to go in and neutralize them. Uh, and the way that Cody views the mission versus the way the Crosshair views the mission the way versus the way that the Imperial officer views the mission. I, you know, I'll be honest. I love this episode. I thought this was great. I thought this was really interesting. Um, you know, didn't didn't touch on the rest of the Bad Batch. Didn't need to loop them into this. You know, we obviously we got a lot of them in the first sort of two parter episode. And the fact that they just really soaked you in this this what these clones are feeling like is a particularly relevant moment in this one where you know for this sort of potentially suicide squaddy kind of mission, they send in nothing but clones. And then as soon as the sort of the, the dust is cleared, you see the the uh, non-clone troopers all start marching in and they, you know, and they fly out the survivors of the clones that had made it through this mission. I thought that was really telling, you know, that they're they're now basically looking at these clones as cannon fodder in a way that's, you know, even worse than it was before. Um, I, I, yeah, I just thought this was really, really interesting look at what these, you know, soldiers who had invested all this time in this, you know, mission, you know, we've seen, obviously we've seen stories like Rex's where Rex in the end of the Clone Wars has this sort of, you know, epiphany of, you know, I can't do this. And, 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 you know, they take out the chip and he's better and whatever. I think, uh, I think, yeah, having a look at somebody like Cody, who was so deeply invested in the war, and then obviously this episode plays out where he, you know, in the end, he basically deserts. And Crosshair sort of facing like, oh, so not only are my has my squad done this, but now Cody's done this. Where am I? What am I thinking? And really putting that in his head, I thought was really, really interesting. Yeah, but and yet he does, he does, you know, complete the mission, as it were, right? Yep. Like, I mean, he stays true to his side, right? In the end, right? Yeah, absolutely. The two quotes that I pulled are from uh, Crosshair and from from Cody, and they they end up sort of putting the characters in in pretty good description and of how they are they're contrast with each other, right? So uh, Crosshair frequently, and in this episode, says, uh, "Good soldiers follow orders," right? That's yeah. why he ended up breaking with the Bad Batch. And uh, by contrast, you have. Cody, who says, you know, the difference between us and droids is we make choices and we have to live with them, which, you know, is is in conflict with the good soldiers follow orders. Yeah. 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 And it was interesting because this was uh, the first time in a long time that we'd seen battle droids again. Right. So this was obviously a separatist planet. They did have these repurposed battle droids that were not necessarily turned off at the end of the war, like so many of them were at the end of the Clone Wars. I think you know, there's a real you know, juxtaposition between, you know, the battle droids can be turned off and reprogrammed. These are clones. Can they be turned off and reprogrammed? Can they be, you know, like they're not as easily done. And, you know, yeah, I think you're right. I, I made that, that line from Cody that sums up like we are, you know, created for this purpose, but we are still living beings now. We have the ability to make a decision about how we're how we're going through our existences. and. You know, the fact that Cody goes through this mission, you know, is trying to find a peaceful resolution. Crosshair ends up, you know, taking out this, this, you know, separatist leader. And, and Cody's reaction is, 
I, I don't want to do this anymore is is really really poignant and and speaks to the sort of complexity of these clone characters that they've established over the last you know decade and a half. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I wonder. So my my big question was, you know, do you, do you think we'll see Cody again? Um, I hope so. I really do. I hope I hope we get you know some some more feeling uh, out of you know what that means for him, where where his life goes from here. Yeah, so which is the solitary clone is the question that I came out of this. Is, is it Cody or is it or is it supposed to be Crosshair? I think... Is Crosshair still playing by the rules, right? That's it. I, and I think that's open to interpretation. I think it's deliberate, right? You know, is is it, is it you know, Cody? Is it Crosshair? I, I'm starting to feel like it's Crosshair because, you know, he's the one who is still the good soldier following orders where even, you know, like Cody tries to kill Obi-Wan in episode three, you know, uh, Revenge of the Sith. You know, he is a good soldier. He follows the order. And even he is at this point now, after they've blown up Kamino and, you know, he's seen so many atrocities now that there's this empire in place. Like, you know, again, when it was taking out battle droids and in the name of, you know, the Republic, I think he could he could sort of justify it in his head. But even a clone can say, you know what, uh, just, you know arbitrarily murdering people because a governor, the, you know, the pseudo governor who's coming in basically says, I want her murdered on the spot and her body displayed in the town square is like, um, no, that's awful. Like, uh, that's really interesting. So who is Mina Bonteri? Bonteri? Mina Bonteri. Yeah. So that was, I had for my Easter egg. Um, so at one point, the, um, the character, sorry, I wrote her name down here. quickly, But, uh, the, the, um, governor of the uh, planet that they go to. Her name is Tawny Ames. And she's not a character we'd ever met before, but she says, uh, you know, I was involved in the peace initiative with Mina Bonteri. So that was a, an arc in the Clone Wars series where uh, Amidala is working with Mina Bonteri on trying to basically build a peace movement and trying to build a bridge using diplomacy to stop the uh, the war. And of course, uh, Palpatine doesn't want the war to stop. He wants it to, you know, to, to royal so that he can declare the empire eventually. And so uh, Mina Bonteri is eventually killed, and that completely derails the, the peace initiative. Uh, so that was a nice little tie back to that storyline where this, this new character we've met sort of ties you back to, you know, I believed in peace so much that I was part of this process. And once she was gone, I knew that there was never going to be peace. So we just basically, you know, carved our own niche, niche out here, built some, rebuilt some battle droids and tried to hunker down. So, yeah, I thought it was really good. Hmm. Interesting. D. Badly Breaker is the voice. And then uh, Matthew Wood is the voice of the battle droids. I guess he's always been the voice of them, right? Yeah. Well, it's good to see him getting some work again. Well, I always like the battle droids. Roger, Roger. The big army. The big army. You know, any, any more of what they said and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Ames, uh, the, the, you know, the, the governor says, you know, so much for peace. And then, then yeah, the other quote was, that I have was the same one that Jaime had, the, uh, the great line from Quoty, you know, we make our own choices and we have to live with them. That was very, very poignant. Hmm. Cool. All right, well, let's move on to the watch list. I have a lot. Do you guys want to go before yeah, me? Go ahead. All right. Well, so this these are a couple of long ones, actually. I, I don't know how I ended up watching this one, but this kind of caught my interest in, in that it was about James Bond and I was watching it a bit. It's called The Making of the Casino Royale was a bleep show. Um, and it's interesting because it, it's a it's a sort of an exploration of and story about the, the 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 book Casino Royale, which was the first book written by the author um, of the James Bond series, uh, Ian Fleming. Sorry, Ian Fleming. 
and uh, it was it was kind of sort of originally made into into a, a kind of before James Bond kind of story, but and all the way through how you know how they kind of wanted to make that show, but then they ended up doing they ended up doing Thunderbird Thunderball first and Doctor No, uh, and about the choice of of going with uh, um, Sean Connery, and then you know all the other makings of. And then finally, they got the rights back to do Casino Royale, and they ended up doing it as a sort of weird um, mashup of different stories. They they actually had three scripts, and they gave the various actors uh, a script. Like so, David Niven played a James Bond character. Peter Sellers played a James Bond character. I think Woody Allen played the Blofeld, I guess, character. And there was one other guy. Um, but anyway, so they, they kind of put these, they filmed all these three together, and then they kind of put them together in this really, really strange movie. If you've ever seen Casino Royale, it's it's almost like a comedy, right? Like, But it, but the thing about it is David Niven is playing it serious, and Peter, Peter Sells is playing it, you know, tongue firmly planted in cheek. And then the, I forget the third actor, but the, so when you watch it, it's sort of a very disjointed movie. And then it goes on, you know, it, goes through the whole thing to the point where um, Daniel Craig is playing James Bond in Casino Royale, the, you know, the reboot of the, of the series and how um, the, the whole series got, the whole James Bond uh, thing got rebooted by having Daniel Craig play a different kind of James Bond than we'd seen before. It goes through, you know, you know, um, can Steele, what's his name? <laughs> Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan and the, the, the one that was in two movies before him, Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton, yeah, and and how how he ended up only doing two movies as opposed to a few of them, right? So uh, interesting, interesting movie. If you're into James Bond and you're you're curious about that, it was it was a really interesting uh, little little uh, thing. It's about half an hour, maybe forty minutes long. Um, very very well written. And uh, my second one is called Honest Trailers, and you may have seen these from time to time, but. Um, what they are is, is they take, it's, it's, it's sort of a comedy, um, view. I forget the, who the producers are, but it's a comedy view of each, of each of the trailers. They do like a, like an honest trailer of, for instance, Star Wars, and then they do one of Empire Strikes Back. And, but this is interesting. It's almost, it's over an hour long. So if you've got an hour to kill, I suggest you look at this one, but it goes through every single Star Wars property from, you know, including like the Christmas specials and the Ewoks uh, TV shows. And it does a trailer on each one of them, including uh, all the way up to, um, I think, Rise of Skywalkers or yeah, Rise of Skywalkers in there, too. But it's it's funny how they sort of how they do the and starring and, and they go through and they riff on all the, the various characters, you know, in sort of a more honest way, um, including Rogue One and Solo and all that kind of stuff. So. Uh, really interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen any one of these or. Um, oh yeah, I've seen, but this I've seen, is the I've seen a bunch of them over the years because they've done them for tons and tons and tons of properties. Yeah, and so this is this is like every. Yeah, I think they do them for other shows as well, right? Yeah, but, movies. Yeah, absolutely. but this is this is for every Star Wars property um, that's been a TV show or a um, <laughs> and uh, like the, the I I completely it's been years since I've watched I think I've only watched the, the Christmas special maybe twice in my life but the. The whole one of the key points they 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 clue in on is um, Chewbacca gets to watch VR porn in the middle of the show, right? If you remember that from that particular show, no, I do. Yeah, it's, I think it's Chewbacca's and, dad that actually gets to watch the the. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, is it okay? Yeah, yeah. 
but yeah, so it, it, it kind of it, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it's worth a laugh even if you just watch a, a few of them just uh, to kind of kind of. I don't know if it's marked in chapters or not, but but that'd be pretty cool. And another one that so I've got one. I've got two more. Um, this uh, the other one I saw was an article that's basically everything on Apple TV Plus, and it's a big long guide of. Um, and this is from Nine to Five Mac. All uh, things that I mean, I discovered shows that I didn't even know were on Apple Plus. But all the sort of things we've talked about over the years on Apple Plus, uh, Apple TV Plus. If you're curious about what content there is, it, I mean, you know, initially when they started, they were. I mean, they started with nothing, right? And, and maybe five or ten shows. Um, I think it was like you know the the Daily Show and and the Emily Bronte or the is it Emily Bronte? There was a uh, no um, Emily Dickinson show. And C, I think, was kind of where they started. And now they've got, like, you know, probably 20 or 30 shows that you probably want to watch on here, many of which we've talked about before, like all the Peanuts stuff as well. Um, so, yeah, if you're curious about what's on Apple TV+, Plus, take a look at this, this uh, article. And my last one just came out today, actually. It was, like, a few hours old when I first put it in here. But uh, uh, Mel Brooks has put out a trailer for the upcoming, I believe it's coming in February, The History of the World Part uh, 2. And uh, some clips from from uh, from that, um, you know, sort of what what it's going to cover. Because I think the history of the part, world part one, I can't remember how far it went. It started from the caves and went all you know a few years into I think probably World War One or something like that. But this is sort of the the rest of the stuff that was missing from from that show. I think it's been I don't know what twenty almost twenty five years, oh, thirty years. Way more he... than that. It was early mid eighties that that came out. Yeah, that was I, that was a, a standard uh, video cassette we would rent on, uh, on on sleepovers and stuff like that because it was such a goofy, weird movie. It's the one, the one where he does the you know the Spanish Inquisition does the dance number and oh, it's just it's such a great goofy movie. Another classic, Mel Brooks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so this this one covers off a lot of. Uh, it takes a shot at Christianity at one point in in the trailer and stuff like that. So it's good. It's obviously going to be a fun, uh, a fun, uh, fun laugh from him. So cool. And over to Honey, I guess. Yeah, mine is uh, another short video from Man Carrying Thing on YouTube. This one is uh, a send up of the the discourse around Avatar and its uh, and its sequel. Um, I think it does a, a pretty good take of both, I don't know, like, like both sidesing almost. The uh, Avatar has no uh, no cultural impact, and yet it seems to come up quite a lot, which I feel like that's where I'm at as well, where um, I, I think of the Avatar movies as being more like uh, theme park rides, where, you know, do, do you remember exactly what happens in the Indiana Jones ride at, like, California Adventure? I sure don't. I remember it was a good time. Um, couldn't tell you the plot of what exactly happens on that ride. Um, and Avatar and its sequel, I think, are going to be in this weird spot where they're they're influential, but it's sort of a, a different level. So I don't think that they're eminently quotable. I don't see a ton of people, um, you know, uh, dressing up as Navi or other characters. I don't see a lot of uh, memes coming out of it. And yet, and yet. Um, at least from a technical level, it seems like it still does influence the industry. I can guarantee you anything that's going to be underwater that started after uh, Avatar 2 uh, is probably going to be influenced by how much of a bang-up job they did on that. So I can, I can kind of see both of the, uh, you know, Avatar is, is super influential and also Avatar is not that influential at all for being one of the, the biggest movies of all time. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, obviously, as Avatar uh, Part Two closes in on two billion bucks, which is what they were targeting, and it looks like it's gonna, it's gonna, you know, uh, I think James Cameron said last week, it looks like I'm gonna have to do three, four, and five now. Uh, you know, I wonder if there's basically an Avatar movie every two years for the next few years. I wonder if that builds some steam for something like this. Yeah. Cool. All right. I got a couple things. So uh, the very unusual looking new uh, Scooby-Doo adjacent uh, cartoon series for HBO Max called Velma uh, debuted this week. And it is a decidedly um, more AA over PG kind of vibe to it. Um, Mindy Kaling is sort of the, the force behind this one. Um, and she is the voice of, of Velma. Velma in this uh, iteration of the show is an Indian uh, girl, and it's it's very weird. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at the trailer, but it's it's basically you know it's like what if Scooby Doo was more into the sort of Buffy era, where it's you know there's not a talking dog in it, and it really is about you know real murders there's some blood and some gore and you know some sort of more you know teen young adult humor to it um certainly you know obviously upping the the quotient of um of diversity there's no shaggy but then there's another character in it who's um african-american so it looks unusual. I do like Mindy. I do enjoy her work. So I'm I'm kind of curious and I'm kind of curious to see the real question for me out of this one is does Scooby-Doo without Scooby-Doo work? And I guess I'm I'm curious enough to know the answer to that question that I will at least give this series a try. I'll watch the first few and see how how I feel about it. But um yeah, it's it's an unusual premise and I'm not sure if it's going to work, but I'm definitely curious. So I'm I'm going to check this out this weekend and see See what I think of this. The yeah, it looks interesting. Yeah, the other thing that I added in here, and I, I'm still, I'm, I'm still waffling about this one. So, The Last of Us premieres this weekend. The adaptation of the um, smash hit video game series from Naughty Dog. Um, I'm curious to know. Uh, you know, I, again, I own the games. I have not played the games. They came with my system. I'm not a huge fan of horror. Um, that being said, I did watch, you know, years of the walking dead and I, and I do have an appreciation for well done thriller horror stuff. I'm curious because I really enjoy Pedro Pascal. I really enjoy, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to blank on this young woman's name again, who plays, um, uh, the young protagonist in this show, uh, who was on game of Thrones. Yeah, she was, you know, she was great in that. And I like the... You know, I, I like what I've seen in the trailers and it's the reviews have started being dropped this week and everyone says like this might be the best video game adaptation that's ever been done. But in the end, it's, you know, it's people in a post-apocalyptic wasteland trying to get from point A to point B while uh, rotten other people and monsters chase them. And I, I'm not sure that's enough to hold me, but I know it's HBO. HBO equals generally quite high quality. And on top of that, the pedigree of the people working on it is very high. So I'm I'm deeply intrigued, and I, and I'm I'm leaning towards at least watching the first one to see what it does for me. But um, 
Yeah, I, it's it's a it's a real tricky one for me. As I say, I'm not I'm not a horror buff. I really burned out on and The Walking Dead, which is funny because I read every single issue of the Walking Dead comic series as it was out, and I really enjoyed it. The Walking Dead TV show I felt like pushed things uh, too far, frankly, like way way too far. But um, Bella Ramsey, by the way, is the name I was fishing for. Bella Ramsey is the the young woman. Yeah, um, yeah, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm probably leaning towards watching at least the first one this weekend, but uh, I don't know. Again, zombie. It's essentially you know it's a it's a it's a zombie movie you know or zombie zombie zombies show. or aliens or something like that. Uh, again, I haven't played the game. I can't speak to it. Um, I'm just basing on on the trailer you posted here today because I, I know, this is the first time we sort of we don't really see the creatures, but we do see them in profile. Yeah, we sort of see the sort of foggy. gnarled looking heads. I, I, again, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure what the deal is with that. Um, I, I I know I'm in a video gamer minority. I know a lot of people who have played this game and said it is a masterpiece. By the same people who made Uncharted, uh, which is one of my very favorite games, the Uncharted series, um, you know, apparently it's it's as good as those, but in a different genre, uh, animation, story, everything that they do, and and you know, and I I I expect it as a masterpiece because the, you know some of those, especially the later Uncharted games, are incredible. But um, yeah, I think I think it's there. I'm curious. Do, do you guys intend to watch this? Are you interested in this? What what do you make of the trailer? I'm kind of I'm kind of torn. I mean, like like I'm the same way. Like I, enough with the zombies. Can we not think of something more compelling? I mean, like like the quiet. Even parts of this trailer that I've seen look like the quiet place and um, and another dystopian, futuristic. You know, the world has come to an end. Um, the world did come to an end a couple of years ago. I don't know if you noticed or not, but <laughs> you know we're still living in our houses and we still have electricity and we still have internet. You know, so we haven't gone back to living in caves, but. You know, so I mean, like, uh, and it, it, it's sort of a—I don't know—it's uh, is it an easy trope? You know, maybe maybe you you save money be, by you know killing off ninety um, percent of society, so you don't have to have that many uh, extras in your show. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. These 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 uh, aliens that are coming out of the crawling up out of the you know whatever—they just look like I don't know, just another form of people. And it's just that human people being assholes to people kind of show like. You know, really, you know, we don't, I mean, I can't speak for the United States, but in Canada, we don't run around with guns and, you know, take things as we need them kind of thing, right? Yeah, we just whack them with hockey sticks. It's all good. Yeah. How about you, Hemi? I was going to make this uh, terrible comment of like, let's see what happens at Tim Hortons when they're behind for about an hour <laughs> and all all of Canada grinds to a halt and society breaks down. Um well, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but we had we we did have society break down a couple of weeks ago when when all these uh, flights from tropic you know places, Sunwing uh, Airlines, uh, stranded a bunch, stranded like thousands of people because of some I think weather, right? And and uh, there's pictures of the uh, we have Pearson Airport, the baggage claim area where it's just littered, like full to the brim with suitcases and stuff that have not been claimed. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you think that those people's lives have been, you know, permanently altered <laughs> by this experience, right? Yeah. Well, and we had the same same circumstance in the states this last uh, over the holidays with uh, Southwest, right? I mean, that that happened um, mm-hmm. not that long ago. Just mass chaos, and you realize it, it it's pretty easy to make an a post post apocalyptic uh, look. They just need to go to an airport. Yeah. Are we lost time? Eh? No, I'm here. I'm I'm thinking about. Um... 
how to to put this. So I'm going to watch the show. I'm not as burned out on uh, zombie culture because I didn't stick around The Walking Dead for as long as other folks did. So I haven't uh, haven't had that beaten out of me. Uh, so it doesn't uh, come across as a concern for me. Um, the the bigger question for me is, you know, will it will it be different enough from the video game, which is already pretty cinematic as it is? That's the one. That's the one area I have some some doubts about. But uh, seems on the surface to be, uh, look pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, again, I, I I said it before, but I think it's worth repeating. HBO makes great television. Like it's inarguable. They are still, in spite of their new corporate masters at AT and T, they are still the premium brand for consistently good Sunday night television. And you know you can't dismiss that. You you know. It, if you don't watch their Sunday night lineup, chances are you're not going to be part of the conversation too. You know, it really does. They have a, a, a mystique to them and a, and a reputation that really does transcend. Yeah. I'm trying to think, I watched a really interesting HBO show the other day and it was like a, um, something I hadn't seen in a while. It was like almost like a documentary. I'm trying to remember what it was, but you know, it's really, like you said, when you see that HBO thing come on with the static and the white snow mm-hmm. and you know, you're in for a treat. Yep. So this is going to be on Crave in Canada. Yep. Yeah, or, or obviously HBO, if you get that through your... Uh... Well, Crave is HBO, isn't it, in Canada? Or are you thinking about those poor Americans who have to watch it on HBO? I mean, that's just nuts. Or now they're paying an Max extra dollar. or whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Are we going to talk about Sparkies? What are we doing? Yeah, so I guess we can say uh, the list is finally done. Uh, we'll be able to post it uh, hopefully this weekend. Uh, we'll leave it up for a bit, and then we can decide, uh, obviously when we're ready to uh, to come back and, and do more uh, episodes. That's something we can talk about in our after show. But uh, yeah, I think I think the list is ready. So hopefully we'll get a chance to share that on our socials and uh, spread it around. And we hope all of our listeners uh, and we'll, we'll share it on our Slack channel and everyone will be uh, casting their votes for their favorites from 2022. Well, seeing this is an audio format and people can't see the list and we want to go through the list of nominees. We certainly can. All right. Why don't you give us the best movie, and I'll do the best show, and then Jaime can do the next Sure. Show. So uh, our candidates for the best movie, and that we did pair a few out. So if you're if the thing that you enjoyed the most isn't in here, uh, it's because we don't like you, and we took it out. Um, so the candidates for best movie 2022, Avatar The Way of Water, The Batman, Black Adam, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Jurassic World Dominion, Nope, Thor Love and Thunder, and Uncharted. All right, and for the best TV show, we have Andor, Halo, House of the Dragon, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, uh, Moon Knight, Ms. Marvel, The Orville, New Horizons, Peacemaker, Rick and Morty, uh, The Sandman, She-Hulk Attorney at Law, Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Lower Decks, Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Prodigy, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Star Wars The Bad Batch, presumably season one, right? Uh, Star Wars The Book of Boba Fett, Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi, Star Wars Tales of the Jedi, Stranger Things, The Umbrella Academy, The Walking Dead, The Witcher, Blood Origin, Wednesday, and Willow. For best Star Trek series, we have Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Lower Decks, Star Trek Card, Star Trek Prodigy. Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Uh, Best Actor in Movies. 
Christian Bale in Thor Love and Thunder, Tena Huerta in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Robert Pattinson in The Batman, and Kehi Kwan in Everything Everywhere All at Once. And for Best Actor TV Show, uh, and by the way, these are best uh, actors who portray male characters. Mm, important <laughs> distinction. Patty Considine in House of Dragon, Oscar Isaac Moon Knight, Diego Luna Andor, Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Anson Mount, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Elliot Page, The Umbrella Academy, Himesh Patel, Station Eleven, uh, Selen Starsgar, Andor, Matt Smith, House of Dragon, Tom Sturridge, The Sandman. Best Actress in Movies is uh, Angela Bassett, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Jamie Lee Curtis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Zoe Kravitz, The Batman, Amber Midthunder, Prey, Letitia Wright, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Michelle Yeoh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Best Actress TV, uh, Christina Chong, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Olivia Cook, House of the Dragon, Emma Darcy, House of the Dragon, Mackenzie Davis, Station Eleven, Denise Goh, uh, Andor, Tatiana Maslany, She-Hulk Attorney at Law, Chloe Grace Moretz, Peripheral, Jean-Vievo O'Reilly in Andor, Jenna Ortega in Wednesday, Sadie Sink in Stranger Things, and Iman Villani in Ms. Marvel. That is a stacked category. Holy moly, there's some great performances in there. Mm-hmm. Most, in- most anticipated movie of 2023, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, Blue Beetle, Dune Part 2, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves, The Flash, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Craven the Hunter, The Marvels, Shazam, The Fury of the Gods, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, The Super Mario Brothers Movie, uh, Transformer Rise of the Beasts. For most anticipated TV show of 2023, we have Agatha, Coven of Chaos, Echo, Good Omens, The Last of Us, Loki, The Mandalorian, Secret Invasion, Star Wars Ahsoka, Star Wars Visions, Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Lower Decks, Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Prodigy, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Star Wars The Bad Batch, The Walking Dead, Dead City, X-Men 97. And our last category is Most Anticipated Star Trek Series. So we've got Star Trek Discovery Season 5, Star Trek Lower Deck Season 4, Star Trek Picard Season 3, Star Trek Prodigy Season 2, and Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2. So get your votes in, everyone. We really want to hear from you. We want to hear uh, what you think and what you're looking forward to. And uh, yeah, I think there's some really, really, really tough decisions to be made this year. Some uh, This was in retrospect. Uh, especially for television, was an amazing year. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be putting up a Google form for you to vote on. Um, and I think the, some of them we put in, I can't remember if we put anything to put right in stuff, but um, so I'll put up a Google form for you guys to fill out, and I'll hopefully put a link into this particular episode if you don't find it on socials or you don't follow us on socials. And if you don't follow us on socials, what? Yeah, and if you want to have a discussion about this with us, we'd love to get your feedback. Uh, feel free to join our Slack channel. We'd love to hear from you and uh, love to engage with you and, and uh, hear what you think. Yeah, definitely. 
So I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, people can get in touch with you wherever they find you. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News or on YouTube as uh, YouTube.com slash JPK. And how many people can get in touch with you wherever they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. All right. My name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine and on Mastodon and YouTube and all the other things. So, yeah, if um, find us there. So until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. picture cracked me up by the way <laughs> yeah my uh we were talking about that actually when i took the picture but um yeah one of one of my colleagues at work asked me about that because apparently they heard heard our talking about a, a t- talking about it on the show that's kind of funny <laughs> did uh did, did both your sisters go or just yeah i know this is the thing is it, it was i mean aruna and i can generally we're generally get oh, along yeah, pretty no, well I mean, right it, so you know best of the lot yeah, by far it, so yeah so three of us went my youngest sister didn't yeah. go yeah Mm-hmm. It was a good time, and we, you know, got to connect with cousins. And I mean, it's unfortunate that things like this um, bring everybody together. I think the last time we were all together was one of my cousins' weddings mm-hmm. um, a few years ago. I mean, obviously, there were a lot of them were there for um, <clears throat> the internment because you know they, they can't dig the ground right now because it's frozen. Yeah. Uh, so my aunt passed a few, passed away in, in twenty nineteen. I think, or she was buried in twenty yeah twenty nineteen. So it was until the summer that you know when I went up for our annual visit to to your aunt's um, location in Woodstock, New Brunswick, that uh, I popped down to Fredericton and you know you know met up with them and connected with them. But this this was a good because it was the three of us and the, you know the six of them remembering stories and stuff like that and previous visits and stuff. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and, you know, and we, especially for, you know, someone like your uncle who was, you know, he lived a long and good life. You know, obviously is always sad to say goodbye, but in, in a way it does become a bit of a, you know, a celebration, you know? Right, and, it, and the thing about it is, that we, I talked about this too, is that he, um, he and my aunt Monica were, um, they were alternate parents to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, you know they're very different than my parents were, their parent, their parental style was very different than um, Neil and Monica's because they had six kids, you know, three boys and two girls. No, is that right? Four boys and two girls. Um, math is hard, and um, you know, so so there's the dynamic of that, right? Of of you know dealing with with uh, 
you know, the, the young men of the world who want to run around and, you know, wreak havoc and the girls who wreak havoc in their own ways, right? But uh, um, having moved them around different cities and stuff like that as well, through because he was an engineer, he moved from job to job as like, like my father did, right? Um, and, you know, we would connect with them. We would go to their place. Like, you know, the first time we went to their house in Dorval, or I think it was Trois-Rivières, We'd never seen milk in bags before, you know, such a strange concept. You <laughs> Always know? A, a journey uh, for people who come to Canada for the first time. Yeah. So, so stuff like that, you know, and then, and then my aunt was a no, no, not, well, having raised four boys, a no nonsense kind of person. And it was a very different, like parental style to us, you know, and, and, uh, you know, um, hearing stories of my cousin, my cousin who did the eulogy was talking about how, you know, his dad, who was, you know, born in South Africa during the war, or after the war, I guess, and, no, before the war, I guess, and, uh, you know, raised in Scotland, and, you know, he did, you know, like, he was a sports guy, he did, you know, cricket and soccer and all that kind of stuff in, in school, but here in Canada, you know, picking up a hockey stick and playing with his kids, and, you know, not, not you know, not being from this country, right, kind of thing, sort of, and then also being a, he was in a Kayla as a Cub, Cub Scout mm-hmm. leader. You know, being a kale is not a simple thing, yep. right? Um, and then, you know, uh, you know, being a, a packing them all up into the state. You saw the pictures on Facebook of the of the. I found the picture of the Woody, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. The station where he. I remember sitting in the back of that. Uh, it had a sort of a little jump seat in the very back where the the little kids could sit, right? Um, super dangerous. Oh yeah. In retrospect. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you know, you know, but it was kind of a, kind of an interesting interesting thing, yeah. So. Yeah, it was, it was fun catching up with them. And, and you know, my, my oldest cousin is, uh, he's a retired uh, Air Canada pilot. So we were talking about, he was telling us about all the crazy landings and uh, having worked with, you know, people who shouldn't have been able to fly planes, but were, and uh, and how the, the, you know, planes go from, like, I always thought planes just go back and forth, back and forth all the time. And he said, no, it's based on, like, the plane lands and then, you know, kind of, it can go from, you know, uh, Vancouver to Toronto, Toronto to New York, New York to London, London to Singapore, you know, Singapore to, you know, back to Vancouver kind of thing. And the crew that would fly would based on where the, where the shift landed, you know, kind of thing. So it was kind of like, wasn't like this, like, obviously with, with smaller, you know, regional airlines, you'd fly back and forth, you know, maybe twice a day kind of thing. And then you're home for dinner, as a friend of mine was telling me at work today, but just weird to hear about all the different things and i'm always fascinated by you know how the like it to them it's like driving a bus right um and uh how you know these weird landings where they have the crosswinds and they kind of come in sideways and you know hit the ground and he was telling us about how the 747 is is such a strongly made machine that it can hit the runway and and straighten out like it's designed to do that right which is just ludicrous you know you know, to them, it's like an everyday, you're just, you know, parking a car kind of thing, and like, as it would be for us, right? Uh, but to us, it's like, you know, oh my God, I'm putting my life in my hands and, you know, like taking this huge risk to fly in these planes. And yet to them, it's just like something they do every day, several times a day. It was cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it was a so, positive experience in spite of obviously the reason. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, it was, a, it was, <laughs> the gentleman was 92 years old. It wasn't like, you know, we weren't, uh, we weren't surprised. Yeah. You know. It wasn't, wasn't like, you know, Lisa Marie Presley, done, you know, just, yeah. you know, dying like at 50 something, right? Yeah, it's really starting to bum me out that, uh, you know, they're like, oh, you know, t- tragic people dying, you know, this age. I'm like, that's awfully close to the <laughs> to the window I'm living in now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm past it. Never mind, yeah, right? Yeah. 
And when I think about, you know, like, like, you know, my, my grandparents, um, and my father, you know, all died in their sixties. Right. So. Yeah. But then your mom's still actually, alive. Guess, so. Yeah. And well, my mom and then my uncle was 92. Right. So that bodes well yeah. in some mix senses. Those, right? Mix those, mix those, uh, together and hopefully you get a good result. Yeah. Well, you never know. Never know. Um, so do we want to, uh, so we're at the end of Willow now. Do we want to continue doing weekly for the next little bit? The next Trek thing is Picard starts in February, but we don't really have, uh, yeah. other than Bad Batch. Well, we could, we could take a break. I wouldn't be opposed to that. How about you, Hami? I'm looking at the calendar of stuff. Did we ever get a date for Secret Invasion? It just says, my notes, 2023. Um, what is Secret Invasion? The, the Marvel, new Nick Fury um, Marvel Disney Plus, yeah. Sorry, Hemi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So I think uh, so. Picard is first in February. Yeah, I guess that makes sense because Strange New Worlds. I just have 2023, but without a date. So yeah, other than Picard, yeah, nothing's been announced as a start date. It seems like a good time to do the break and then uh, recap whatever it is that we've been watching or whatever's been going on, um, and and then go in the weekly starting with Picard. Yeah, I mean, we can come back if you want to take you know a couple weeks off. We can come back and just do a Spockies episode or something, but. Uh... Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know that we really need to do. Uh, like, we can certainly do a, a double up or a triple up or whatever we want to do of uh, you know what we thought of the last few bad batches next time we meet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a word to the uh, the various streamers. How did you leave this hole? <laughs> Staring yeah. at you, Disney Plus and Paramount Plus, and uh... we're all going to go back to cable now. What? The hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's nice to have some catch-up time too. We can actually uh, pick sure. up a few things, even over the holidays. It was nice to have a a little well, window. A list of Apple TV stuff I just gave you. You can go through. Yeah, that. no kidding. Well, yeah, and there's at least uh, two or three shows <laughs> that are on there that I've been wanting to catch up with. So. I'm really curious about this Picard season. I, I you know, I like uh, I like this sort of reunion thing they've got going on. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. All right. Well, I guess we'll uh, call it a night. Until next time. Talk to you soon, guys. Okay. Thank you later. Bye. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.